welcome back to Regency Rumours, the podcast where a British-American couple recaps Bridgerton, the Netflix series. I'm Jordan. And I'm Kayla. And we're back for part two of episode eight of Bridgerton After the Rain. We decided to cut the episode in two because there's just so much to cover. So now we're at the last 30 minutes of episode eight. It is a longer episode anyways. I think it's like an hour and 20 minutes, something like that. So there's just more to cover. And there's just so much more that wraps up in this episode, so we really wanted to dive in episode 8 and talk about all these developments. This is the last episode of Bridgerton Season 1, and the last episode we're going to be recapping of Bridgerton until Season 2 comes out. We do have some fun episodes coming up, though, and they'll be more interview style, where we're going to talk about some historical aspects of Bridgerton and the Regency period, so please do stick around. Next up, we're going to be recapping Sanditon, along with these new Bridgerton episodes, which we're really excited for. If you haven't yet, subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts so that you can stay up to date with our latest episodes, which are uploaded on Mondays now. We'll be setting up a Patreon account going forward, so any extra episodes we do, or if you'd like to get episodes early, we'll have some perks on there. And if you'd like to support us, our Patreon is patreon.com forward slash Regency Rumors. And I can't stress this enough, Rumours with a U, which is the same name of our Facebook group where we discuss all things Bridgerton. So join us at facebook.com slash Regency Rumours. And I am, I promise if anybody's been listening and been like, oh, hey, she keeps talking about us doing a book group, a um, book club. I definitely am wanting to do that. I'm just in the middle of finishing a PhD and things are kind of crazy at the minute. But I really would love to do a Regency book club, and I've been looking at different books that we could do this year. Um, I've put it out in the Facebook group of suggestions if anybody's got any. Um, But if you're not in the Facebook group, please join. But if you don't have Facebook, feel free to email us at aregencygirl at gmail.com. That's uh, connected to my blog, www.regencygirl.com. And if you've got any... If you've got any suggestions for the book club, that would be great. And I'm hoping to kind of get together an email list and send out when we would maybe do a book club in the future. So a friend sent So a friend of ours sent me this a while back, but it just keeps gaining traction, so I wanted to talk about it. Apparently there is a Bridgerton musical. It's on TikTok, but you can find clips of it on YouTube if you're an old fogey like me and you've never really used TikTok. I'm sadly out of that generation and I I just can't be bothered with it. (laughs) So friends Abigail Barlow and Emily Bear watched the show and then they were like, well, what if this was a musical? And they've written songs for different scenes, such as Daphne going to the ball and seeing the Duke for the first time. It's called Daphne's Song, and it's really pretty. They did a song, Burn For You, which is famous now uh, from the show. They've gotten, like, millions of views from it, and it fits in really well with the show. I'm I'm really impressed by it, and I'm not necessarily a huge uh, musical person. Mm. It's contemporary, but it also does sound like you could go and watch it on Broadway. Um, and, and they've apparently heard from Julia Quinn, the, the writer of the Bridgerton series and a bunch of the stars saying how much they loved it. It's got loads of views and I, I think it's a really cool idea. It's the future, I think. Interesting. Unfortunately, musicals are one form of media I definitely do not enjoy on the whole. There've been a rare few that I've liked, um, Joseph and the Technical Dreamcoat being one for some strange reason. Um, something that my 
my stepbrother showed well not showed me but like he enjoyed it too for whatever reason when we were younger so we just watched it a few times and you know the disney films when you're a kid and things but in general musicals are just not really my thing i think i'm like a a musical wannabe i grew up watching a few musicals and i love going to see broadway musicals but i'm not somebody who will like buy the albums or memorize the songs but i will go to see it i had been wanting to go see hamilton forever and finally went oh you'd think last year but last year was like nothing happened last year the year before with my mom we went to see it in london and really enjoyed it but i'm just not someone that would really kind of go out and buy the album or the dvd and rewatch it over and over again but i i do know that there's a pride and prejudice musical that's out on netflix or amazon maybe and they've even done musicals for jane eyre and emma as well so it's not really out of the the realm of possibility i think if if something like that was live maybe i would go see it but i i probably wouldn't Mm. watch it um on tv so so they did do the musical version of Grey's Anatomy once where they did an entire episode that was a musical. Some people really loved it. Some people really hated it. So I wouldn't put it past Shonda Rhimes to try something like that with Bridgerton, especially when it seemed like it could go well. I'm just not sure I'm really into it. Oh, so now musical episodes of shows that aren't musicals, they are great. Scrubs did it, Buffy did it, and probably many, many others that I've seen. I mean, you mentioned Grey's Anatomy, and I think that one episode of House counts, in a way. Um, I didn't know House did a musical. uh, Well, well, like I said, it was a single episode, um, and it kind of counts, but it's also... It's relevant with with the, the storytelling. So, you know, when Scrubs did it, or... Um, yeah, I mean, okay, Scrubs is a good example. It's a, Obviously, it's a, a sitcom, and so each episode they do something different. It's all funny and everything. Their musical episode, actually, I think it did have a, a, an in-story reason as well. I think one of the um, patients was hearing everything in music, um, and that's how they got away with it. But sometimes a show just doesn't have a reason for it. They just do it to, to be fun. Um, that could have been like Buffy's. But anyway, this one episode of House... Um, it's because of the um can't remember the name of the drugs that house takes um the opiates anyway that he takes i think is what caused the musical in that particular episode like it was a very crazy episode very cool but anyway so um i did see the spider-man broadway show on broadway um broadway is the place in new york city right yes it's a place but it's also a description of a type of musical so oh okay well no i saw i saw it on broadway right which is i think how you say that anyway it was the one remade after the whole dancer falling and breaking his back thing though oh yeah i remember that yeah so so there were there were multiple versions of the spider-man broadway uh musical because the first one was bad and then like really unsafe the guy broke his back and all that kind of stuff anyway um it was all right I kind of don't really remember too much about it other than the <laughs> fact that I saw it and uh, vaguely, I mean, at one point Spider-Man came, we were on the top tier. He came down the stairs near us and then jumped off. Um, that's fun. But yeah, but I don't remember the songs though. And that, if it's a musical, surely that's the thing that you should. Yeah, but I feel like people who are like diehard fans, they they take it upon themselves to memorize the songs and everything. Like when I saw Hamilton, I really enjoyed it, but I don't remember any of the songs. 
So, but mm. I, I feel like if I had gotten the CD, the CD, oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I, I feel like if I had listened to the songs over and over again, then it would be memorable. But on your CD player? On my, on my Walkman. <laughs> Do you know, if I gave you a CD to play it right now, would you even know how to in this current house? Yes, we just wouldn't have any anywhere to put it. No, I'm I'm saying right now, if I handed you a CD, would you know how to play it? Yes, of course. Where? That's what I'm saying. We don't have anywhere to put it. Maybe in your computer. Right. Well, there you go. There's an answer. No, I, I'm I, I meant like with the equipment we currently have. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because because we don't have any portable CD players or anything anymore. Like, yeah. You know, I'm I'm what I mean is like. Even our laptops don't have CD drives. I know. Is that crazy? And actually, no, you couldn't put it in my PC because I disconnected it. Wow. So right now, I genuine... Oh, no, I tell a lie. Uh, the PlayStation could probably do it. But that's the only thing. Wow. Well, that tells you how the world <laughs> is moving. and. But yeah, a bit of a random an aside there. But, but anyways, I, I think that one of... One of the musicals that I do think would be fun for us to recap, because you haven't seen it yet, and it's really fun to kind of recap stuff that, that you haven't seen yet, um, and I, I think it's on Disney+, Plus. I think we should do Hamilton at some point, and see what your reaction is, and what you think. Yeah. Doesn't he die? Spoilers for some people that may not have seen it. We've talked about it in a previous episode of this podcast. Because you brought it up when we were Did talking I? about you brought it up when we were talking about dueling. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. Well, you know what? If you haven't watched Hamilton, I'm gonna be honest with you, it's a two hundred year plus spoiler. So if you haven't figured that out by now, then I'm real sorry. <laughs> yeah, I mean we do try our best to be spoiler free though. Yeah, um, yeah. That's mostly my influence, I'll be honest with you all, because uh, I hate spoilers. Why are you coming for me today? I'm not coming for you, but you're the one that goes and, and looks at... You've In the past, you have looked at the final page of a book before you started reading it. Sometimes I need to know if a book is going to make me happy in this COVID world where everything is... Don't you say this COVID world. You've done that years ago. <laughs> that's true. Sometimes, though, I just want to know that the characters get together and that's all. I'll just look and I'll be like, oh, good, it's a happy book. Goodbye. I need that sometimes. It's it's comforting to me. I want to know that the couple gets together. I want to know that the girl lives. Whatever it is, sometimes you're just not in a mood to read something and to invest in time reading something when you're like, this is going to depress me or this is going to make me sad or whatever. And so there are books that I want to gain information from and learn from and that I want to be able to like take a ride with and go like oh gosh this is epic literary fiction and I want to let this take me where it takes me but then there's other times when I'm like life is stressful or something's going on in my personal life that I'm just like I need something to be an escape to make me feel a bit happy or when I'm on vacation or like we're on a cruise oh it sounds so good right now but, like, we're on vacation somewhere. I want to read a fluff book that makes me happy and that makes me in, enjoy being at the beach or whatever. So I think just like films and TV can be for different parts of your life, I think that 
books are the same way. I was talking about this to another friend about, um, I've just finished The Other Bennett Sister, which is a Jane Austen adaption of Pride and Prejudice all about Mary Bennett's story, one of the five Bennett sisters, and her story. And it was a good book, but it was just a bit heavier than I was expecting. It wasn't a light read at all. I think the author was really trying to like stay in form with the way that Austen writes. And so it was a lot more serious and it it wasn't I'm not saying it wasn't a fun read. I enjoyed it, but it wasn't something it wasn't a page turner to me. And so I was okay with reading it right now. But if I was at a different point in my life or like I was about to turn in my PhD, like I feel like in my free time, I would be just reading something that was light and fluffy because the rest of my life is a bit more heavy with with having to do research and reading for work and stuff. I mean, sure, that all makes sense, but it doesn't excuse reading the final pages (laughs) of a book first. I'm sorry. It does. No. It does. At least I'm reading. You're book shaming me is what's happening. I'm not book shaming. I'm not book shaming. shaming Do you know what I am? I'm spoiler shaming you because you like spoilers. You like knowing the the results of The Bachelor and The Bachelorette before you watch the show, for example. I think you're being very rude to me right now. And you know what? You've got Duke episode 8 vibes. And I'm over you. I don't burn for you. Sure thing. On to the recap. Our last one of the season, and thank goodness it looks like there are brighter skies ahead in the latter part of this Bridgerton episode. At the Bridgerton house, Francesca, one of the Bridgerton sisters that we have not seen yet, though she was mentioned in episode one or two, is back for a visit. Penelope shows up to speak to Eloise, but catches Colin's eye, who looks like a lovesick puppy. Eloise tells Penelope that she's cracked the mystery. She's found out that Madame Delacroix is Lady Whistledown. Hurrah! And Marina finds out that she is still pregnant, so therefore still in her precarious situation, which means she once again has a choice to make. Sienna and Anthony have fired up their affair yet again, and we're kind of wondering why are they torturing themselves. Anthony tries to get Sienna to go to the ball with him, saying that now that Daphne is married to the Duke, no one will say anything about Anthony's choices. Sienna knows all too well that that isn't the case. I think it's kind of clear that Lady Whistledown has slightly taken over Eloise's life. It's hard because it does seem like there were a lot more limitations on women with what they could do with their free time, that didn't have to do with trying to find a mate. A lot of the things women were learning was all in pursuit of getting a husband. Like if you're learning to sew and you're making a sampler and you're learning languages, it's still kind of in the long run all for a husband. It's it's kind of all connected with making a good impression or saying that you can do all of these things type thing. So in Pride and Prejudice, an accomplished mo- woman is defined as A woman must have a thorough knowledge of music, singing, drawing, dancing, all the modern languages to deserve the word. And besides all this, she must possess a certain something in her air and manner of walking, the tone of her voice, her address and expressions, or the word will be but half deserved. Or the word will be but half deserved. 
so women obviously tried to practice certain skills, but really it was just all in pursuit of a husband. And I feel for Eloise because at this point she really does feel a bit adrift. Lady Whistledown is the thing that she can focus on that has nothing to do with a husband. Lady Whistledown doesn't exist to find a husband. She isn't practicing learning French to impress a future mother-in-law. She's someone who's able to have a voice and make some money without all of it needing to be tied to finding a husband, or so Eloise thinks. We can tell that this is something that Eloise is grabbing onto tightly because it's not like anything else. Any other hobbies or accomplishments that she would be trying to do would all somehow go back to needing to be connected to finding a husband. So it's much easier for her to be obsessed with this writer who she doesn't yet know their identity because it's uniquely hers. I do feel like Eloise is creating this character in her head of of this independent woman that doesn't need a man, that maybe lives on her own, that makes her own money, that has no pressures from society to marry or give birth. And she's just living the high life, being this amazing, independent, boff woman. But whoever this writer is, they are in hiding. There just aren't women in this fantasy world that are out there killing it with a business beyond maybe like the modiste and we do still see that she even has limitations within her own life so eloise assuming this woman has some amazing life is sad because at best it's probably a a widowed lady in high society with no attachments but it's definitely not the woman that she's conjured up in her brain we've not really seen a version of that at all in the show and you know the only woman that I that we kind of see of this high power that's like doing her own thing is the queen. And really, even the queen has all these different things that's going on with her husband and duties that she has to do. And so really, she doesn't have this grand life that that Eloise is thinking of either. So it is just this fantasy woman that doesn't really exist. But she's kind of hoping like, oh, if there's hope for this woman you know, this Lady Whistledown woman that's got this amazing life that I think she has, then there's hope for me that it's going to be like this for me. I am hoping in future seasons that Eloise is able to find things that she enjoys doing and finds a purpose that doesn't make her feel like it has to connect to a husband in some way. I think the show's probably going to move in that direction, hopefully. I would also be bitter if my hobbies and the things I was trying to learn growing up were consistently about one day finding a husband it it would be exhausting you know everything that you do you'd have to connect it with well one day I hope that this would impress a mate and you know that's no way to live in terms of Francesca which is the Bridgerton sibling that we haven't really seen yet I'm excited where they could go with her story it's one of my favorite books in the series and I think in some ways the books can be rather formulaic which I've said before which I really like in some ways but in other ways it can make them a bit predictable I really liked Francesca's story in the books and I do hope they decide to do a series on her because I think it would be really fun and I can only imagine the sexy rugged guy they get to play her love interest and I'm ready for it yeah um (laughs) So there's there's a lot that you said there. Um, I don't really have things to say on all of it. Um, the one thing I kind of do want to talk about is just very very briefly is Lady Whistledown. Um, and it's an interesting thing because as you say, Eloise has built her up in in her own mind as this independent woman who's doing what she wants. 
And in reality, there's very little chance that the woman who's authoring those papers is actually capable of doing what she wants. No woman can at this time in history. And like you said, not even the Queen, really. Um, I mean, the Queen is the most kind of quote-unquote emancipated woman in this entire time period because she doesn't really have anything to do. The Prince Regent is ruling. Um, the King is off I his mean, rocker. <laughs> I'm, I'm, no, but I'm sure she does have like official stuff she has to show up for and things. Um, we're not I mean, historians. Let's not like. No, no, but like we're we're not seeing any of that though. So it's yeah. Oh, it's you the, mean in the show? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's like, I mean, because Bridgerton isn't a show about ruling the country, so we don't even see the Prince Regent at all, and like we don't care about how the country is being run. We just care about high society. You are right. Like mostly, what we're seeing out of the Queen is her sitting there waiting for the paper to come and like. <gasps> What's happening? Who's talking about me? Who's talking about who? And yeah. it, we aren't... I think the only time we really see her in any kind of decision-making is when Daphne and Simon have to come to her about their marriage, about wanting to get married and asking permission. Yeah. Um, but otherwise, really, we, we're we not seeing her, you know, be someone that has all these responsibilities and power. And so, really, there's not... There's not really an example of a woman in this show yet that we've seen that's like taking charge or has a business that she's trying to run or I mean, writing than, a book. Other than Madame Delacroix. Um, yeah. But then even then, we see her uh, portrayed as a pretender to the middle class title. Um, we've no idea how she got the shop in the first place. She's clearly pretending in a lot of ways that she's qualified for it. Um, I've no idea why she's pretending that she's French. It might come out. I, I think, oh, I think that, that it was more impressive um, for you, for it to be seen as kind of like a modiste rather than it having some English name. I, I think it could, I, now don't quote me on this, but I know that it was more impressive to have a, uh, French governess for your children so that you could say I have a French governess who teaches my children French and that's very impressive and so it could be something very similar at this similar. time period? yes we're literally at war with France right now I know I don't I don't understand well maybe more the 1830s then I'm not 100% sure but I do know that was a thing I do know that was a thing that um, that it was impressive to have a French governess I mean I can see that earlier in history, right? Because I mean, I mean, a lot earlier in history. Because when when you go back to the origins of of English as a language, the reason that we have certain words and phrases is, and and the divide between you know whether or not they've got an Anglo-Saxon background or a a French background is because the French background was seen as more prestigious. I mean, don't forget, in starting in 1066, the Normans were the rulers of, of England and eventually Great Britain. And so the Normans were originally French, yeah? So French was the language of, of the court. It was the language of nobility. And if you didn't know French, you were effectively outing yourself as a commoner. So, you know, it's, it's when you've got the difference between... Um, uh, beef and cow, 
right? We call it beef because it comes from the French word, um, which I believe is like beurre or something. Um, we don't we don't just call it cow because the the term that was in vogue was the French, and eventually it just became English, um, and so on and so on like that. So earlier in history, I completely would understand why that's a thing, but right now, in you know early eighteen hundreds, we've been at war with France for quite a while at this point. I'm trying to see. I I do remember that being a thing. I just can't remember why. I could be completely wrong. But I do remember... I mean, are you thinking of America, perhaps, no. at this time period? No. All right. We're wasting a lot of time. We can circle back. Let's circle back to that. We can talk about... We can have somebody on the show maybe talk to us about that. I'm really not 100% sure... Um, but I, I do remember that kind of being a thing. I mean, in some ways it makes sense because like, you know, the whole Paris fashion thing now, <laughs> I have no idea what it was actually like in the 1800s. I know that the French were probably seen as a lot more fashionable than the, the English were. And so, yeah, going to the modiste instead of going to the dressmakers or I whatever. I can see the French being trend setting at the time. I've no idea. I I, yeah, I, I couldn't I say either. either way. So, um, but but no. But what I'm saying though is, Madame Delacroix, um, she is a working class Londoner. Yeah. Um, she's in the, literally the same boat as Sienna. Now they've both dragged themselves up out of literal poverty by relying on their respective talents. One as a seamstress and one as a singer. Um, but like they they both they're both pretending to be something more than what they are. And they, they admit to that. I'm, I don't mean that in a, in a nasty way or anything. I'm not trying to say that they shouldn't be middle class or anything. But, you know, they both admit to one another that they are not part of that society. Yeah. That yeah. part of society, sorry. So, so yeah, anyway, it is interesting. Um, but, yeah. Yeah. I I'm excited to see where Eloise might go with this with her character because she's definitely starting from a place of like kind of naivete naivete, naivete. you just call it naivety <laughs> naivety um yeah she's starting from kind of that place of being naive and young and having a certain rose tinted glass glasses about what the world could be and then complaining about you know, what she thinks the world is. And so it'll be interesting to see how she grows and changes. I think she'll be one of the most interesting characters in this show to watch grow and change. I mean, she was the, one of the most interesting characters in this season. So. Yeah, 100%. So. Yeah. So it's time for the final ball. Can you believe it? We've made it through so many balls together, guys. Eloise shows up. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> Eloise shows up to her first ball, but she looks like she is completely out of her depth. The Featheringtons also arrive, and they look beyond delighted. Colin walks up to Penelope and apologizes for how he dismissed her about Marina. Penelope tells him not to be sorry. He should not be sorry for falling in love with Marina. She then attempts to tell him that she is in love with him. Oh, girl, why would you think now is the moment that was so cringe? And he dismisses her and tells her that he's going traveling. She's inspired him to travel, he says. 
This pains Penelope, and rather than dancing with Colin, she runs away. Poor girl. That's hard to watch. Eloise finds out from <clears throat> Eloise finds out from one of the Queen's servants that Lady Whistledown goes and prints her papers in the cover of darkness during huge events such as the ball. They plan on capturing her tonight. Anthony shows up at Sienna's house, hoping to finally take her to the ball. Sienna's other lover opens the door instead. It is clear that she is not going anywhere with him again. She tells him that he's lost, and she'll not allow herself to be set adrift as well. She tells him that he needs to let her go. He finally agrees, and she shuts the door. I think it's time for us to see Anthony in a less toxic relationship. Wink, wink. Eloise has run off in order to warn Lady Whistledown that the Queen's men are coming for her. She sees Lady Whistledown's carriage and tells her to drive on so that no one will suspect her. I think that that last point, was it not, from from what I remember and how I interpreted that scene, she was going there originally to find out who Lady Whistledown is, and it's not until she realizes that the Queen's men are there that she decides to change her mind and warn Whistledown away. Yeah. Yeah, I think it is interesting that Eloise, she doesn't have an interest in stopping Lady Whistledown. There's a part of her that admires her, but I think she's, there, there's a part where I think she's kind of naive, where she's like, oh, well, you know, the queen wants, wants Eloise to find out who Lady Whistledown is so that Lady Whistledown can be stopped. But Eloise is like, well, no, she... She's really cool. I want her to keep going. It's just that she should print things that are nice. She should write things that are nice. Well, that's not a gossip column. That's not how that works. You know, there's not really this world where that would be... I mean, I don't I don't necessarily agree with you. I don't think that she just wants Whistledown to print nice things. She wants to be Whistledown. She wants to do those things. And if Whistledown is captured, she can't. So it's not that... Yeah, but no, she she says that in a part of the show where she's just like she goes up to the queen she yeah i think in one of the conversations with the queen she says no i don't want you to stop lady whistledown she's like we can persuade her to write different things so yeah like i think she's Uh, hopeful that lady whistledown will just write that she'll keep on writing about society but that she'll see her bad ways basically and choose to write better things. But, you know, a gossip column like that, it survives on, you know, these salacious scandals. That's what it survives on is stuff like that. And so, you know... I mean, yeah, I understand what you're saying. I still don't necessarily think that she... Basically, what that to me is more that she's like oh no i want whistledown to to survive i don't want her to to be arrested and you know locked away or whatever so let's tell the queen something to try and get her get her mind off capturing whistledown or whatever rather than her being all like naive and like oh she can just print ni- nice things you know like maybe not but i i do think that because i mean sorry but i just thought like eloise's nature is to be a little bit more acidic and sarcastic we've seen that so far so i think i think that she just wants to be like whistledown and then wants 
Whistledown to be free. And so when the Queen like makes it clear that, well, no, actually, we're gonna just we're gonna stop her printing. Eloise is like, no, save. Yeah, but I think that I think that at the same time, Eloise has seen how what Lady Whistledown has written has affected her family and affected Penelope and we've seen her in those key moments like you know comforting Penelope and so I think there is a part of her that thinks like oh well a part of this is a bit problematic I don't think that Eloise is blind to that fact I just think she's naive in in thinking that any of it would change and still survive in the paper but I, I think that she's aware that some some of the things that Lady Whistledown is putting out is very harmful to people in society, but yet in a way she admires it and she's down for it and it's exciting, not necessarily because the content of what's being printed is excited to Eloise, it's more that someone else is doing it. So I agree with you in that way. Okay, but how much of that are you taking from the book? None. Eloise has zero interest in fine lady whistle down in the books i i just i don't i don't i mean i i just disagree i guess i i i I took a different um interpretation of it we're Um, allowed to disagree 100 percent. i think it's good that we've got different opinions on it because it shows that it was well crafted absolutely Um, yeah but yeah so um yeah i guess i just i didn't i didn't see her as wanting to change whistle down's output to all nice and rainbows and butterflies as being like a genuine like everything should be good <laughs> because i saw her as too much of a sarcastic like acerbic kind of character i see what you mean we'll have to see how in she kind future. of yeah how yeah. she takes lady whistle down in the future yeah so yeah going back to anthony here and sienna and this whole messy relationship I feel like this is where we really see that probably all of the Bridgerton boys have been brought up very spoiled. And I don't mean that in like, oh, they're like terrible, horrible people. It's just that they're clueless. I was talking last time about the fact that Colin is just so uh, clueless to the things that women face, especially when it came to Marina and all that she was facing with her pregnancy and her lover disappearing and that sort of thing. But this time we see that it's Anthony and he's very much the same in that he's naive about women and their positions in the world. He has no idea what it feels like to be Sienna. He just assumes that everyone is going to accept her and be fine with him taking her to a dance. And he doesn't even think about how it could make her feel to take her to an event like this or how it would require her to, to change who she is and how she acts just to be with him. And all the doors in the world are open for him. So, you know, he doesn't think about all these closed doors that she has to try and get through and the stairs and the way people would treat her. He just is thinking like, oh, you know what? I'm going to be a bit brave tonight and take her to this ball. And maybe my mom will be like, what are you doing? But that's kind of it. He pretty much has no closed doors other than like being a prince. And even then, that has limitations and responsibilities. So in a lot of ways, like, yeah, Anthony's the head of his family and he's he's got all of that on his shoulders to have this estate and the Bridgerton name and everything. But at the same time, like, he's not so high up that he has the same sort of responsibilities that, like, royalty would. 
So that is why he's able to kind of like run around and have fun and everything. But him expecting her to kind of be able to change who she is in an instant on a night out and and not expect that to affect her, I think is just silly on his part. He's got no ideas what kind of parameters she has to set for herself, other than the fact that their tryst has to be behind closed doors. Like, that is what he knows of her. What is there in those very brief encounters, and that's kind of it. He doesn't, like, kind of see the full picture of what her life really is. He doesn't see that if he takes her to events like this, she has to speak a certain way, act a certain way, develop a thick skin, and ignore the stares that she would get, mostly from a lot of, like, the staring mothers that were hoping that their daughters would get with Anthony. Because he hasn't got to endure all that, he doesn't understand that this is exactly what would happen to her. He's thinking of himself, how he doesn't want to lose this codependent thing that he has with her, so he's willing to risk a few stares and eye rolls, and like I said, his mother's disapproval, because at the end of the day, he has loads of freedom and stability, two things that she doesn't have, so if this one night goes bad for him, then, like, he'll, you know, he'll recover in a few months and, you know, be back out there, and the mothers that are hoping their daughters will be with him, you know, will not be that affected by it because, oh, well, he's changed his ways and, oh, well, you know, he was around town before, but now he's fine. And so Anthony just doesn't see how there's long-term effects to her and this affects her stability in life. We talk a lot about stability for women on the podcast. And this is another one of those instances instances that could rock her stability and her future. So, but is he not, is he not attempting to give her stability? Like, in his eyes, like, you were saying he's he's blind to it, and I agree. Um, but is it? It's not that he's just going to take her to a ball and then forget her. He's basically saying we can treat this as our coming out moment, and and I can let everybody know that we're seeing each other. And and I don't think that was. I don't think that's the thing. I because I think he's always going to be expected to marry a different type of woman. Well, of course, but like what he's saying to her is. I don't care. We're going to be together. Come to the the ball with me and let's be public. I still don't think he necessarily had plans to marry her. I think it was kind of like in this very moment, I don't care. Let's just do it. And let's not think about the consequences afterwards. I don't think it was necessarily let's take this brave next step into courtship. I I think it was let's just not even think about tonight and let's do it. Let's take a chance. And whatever comes tomorrow is what comes tomorrow. I don't think it was... I would like to declare that I am courting you. You are going to be the next Lady uh, Lady Bridgerton. Like, I don't think that that was his thought process at all behind that. It was just kind of like, I'm tired of us being in the dark. Let's go to this event and not give a toss what anybody else thinks. And she's like, no, like, I can't. You are. That's why she says, like, you're set adrift and I'm not going to be lost with you. Because you're popping around here and there going like, oh, things have to be quiet. You can't give me any stability. You know, yada, yada, like a ping pong ball back and forth. And she's done with it. She's like, look, this guy I'm with, he's going to give me stability. He's got this house. It's not going to make me look like a fool when I go out with him. Because everybody knows, like, I'm his mistress and it's fine. And and, um, apparently one of the things that kind of happened during this time is that 
Um, in certain circumstances, a lot of times it would be abroad. So like in Jane Eyre, um, I think it's I think it's mentioned in Jane Eyre. It's been so long since I've read the book, but I know in, in one of the miniseries, it's mentioned that Mr. Rochester wants to run away with Jane, um, I think, to, to Italy to live in a house and to play as if they're man and wife. And apparently that would happen where couples who weren't necessarily um, socially suited for one another or they just or the husband already ha- had a wife somewhere else um, or vice versa. Um, they would oftentimes go to a new location and just live live together as man and wife. And they would, you know, if you would go to an inn or whatever, you would just claim we're man and wife. And so people around you, you'd have people that would know you're not really married. You you were just kind of like saying that you were. You, I think there was a phrase for it, like acting man and wife or whatever, something like that, to where you had no plans to legally marry because of, of stuff like entails or you were already married to someone you didn't love back home or whatever. And so, you know, that could be in the back of his mind where he's like, well, we could just set up shop and never really get married. And that wouldn't make my mom mad. And to the world, we could just say we're, we're living as man and wife, but we don't have to make any actual commitments towards it because then everything would get super complicated. So like that could be something that he was thinking in the back of his mind. But I don't think at all that he was thinking, I am ready to declare you're the one that I'd, I'd like to court and then marry. I don't think that at all. He was just like, I am so tired of us hiding and I want to take a next step and see what it's like to be with you. And I think in her mind, unless he, he was to say, I want to marry you whenever I can marry you and just like the rest of it, you know, who cares? she's not willing to take this risk and do this very public thing with him without any sort of commitment from him. She's not willing to do it. And the guy that she's with right now, he's given her that commitment and he's given her that stability. And she's not willing to just up and go to this ball with Anthony and wake up the next morning and him be like, actually, I've made a mistake. That was like dumb of me to do that. She's not, and she we already see from the show that he's someone that's proven to do that to her. So she's like, I'm not doing that with you again. So I wish I could say that he had a moment where he was like, Oh, I really want to commit to her and give my whole life to her. But I really don't, I think this is a codependency thing. I really don't think this is a, like a love match where the two of them are like, we need to be together and like fight the world as a team. I think it's a codependent thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I see what you're saying. Yeah. It's sad, but... It's a bit of a shame for them, and it's not the best ending for their storyline, but it does open up Anthony for his season two story, so... Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Anyway, we uh, we should carry on. So, back at the ball, we have a few sweet moments between Lady Danbury and Simon, and Daphne and Violet, and we can tell that in their own way, they're trying to push the couple back together. It's hard when they're young and stubborn. Daphne seems to have rose-tinted glasses when it came to her parents, um, but Violet tells her that love was a choice that the two of them made very early on. Daphne and Simon get in front of all their guests for one dance, a waltz. Um, Why this ball is outside, we don't really know, but inevitably the rain begins to fall. This forces everyone inside the house except for Daphne, who seems to be just loving soaking up the rain. Everybody just leaves, 
no explanation. Lady Danbury is just like, go, goodbye, be gone. Daphne and Simon are left in the rain, which somehow makes them emotional. Daphne tells Simon that she knows um, why he made a vow to his father, and she tells him that she's tired of pretending that she doesn't love him. She says she loves all of him, every imperfection. And Kayla's note says, where? What, what imperfections does he have? <laughs> <laughs> um, the Featheringtons come home from the ball and find that Lord Featherington is gone. All of the money has been stolen and he is missing. And we find later, dead. So that whole, like, I'm sick of pretending I don't love you is one of those ridiculous things that only characters do and say. Um, why would anybody pretend that they don't love someone? In a real relationship, you'd be like, hold up, I love you. Why are you acting this way? Let's talk about this. Um, but obviously, we can't have a normal, healthy relationship on TV. So what was I thinking? <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so it's a bit strange that the the only rain that we see, basically, is for this very emotional moment. Um, kind of like from Pride and Prejudice, when it's What's-His-Face and What's-Her-Face, Elizabeth. Or is that her character from Pirates of the Caribbean? Um, oh gosh! And they're they're in yeah. they're in that Greek column type building in the middle of the grounds, right? And the rain, like, am I am I remembering yes, that, that is correctly? Pride and Prejudice. Both of the characters are named Elizabeth. So, oh cool, brownie yes. points, brownie um, points. Bless your heart. Well, we watched Pirates of the Caribbean again the other week. We did. Um, but Pride and Prejudice we watched months ago, I think. So yeah. Um, and so, yeah, like the rain is, is kind of like a thing to say, Hey, we're having an emotional moment. Yes. Thank you. Please react accordingly. And I it's think a, it's, it's a tool. Yeah. It's yeah. I know, but it's lazy is what I'm saying. And, and, and it's like, it's the one moment of rain that we've seen except for, um, uh, poor people, London. <laughs> and so it's like, I don't know. It's just weird. Like, I think a lot of people liked it because it adds to that it's cheesy i know but at this point all of bridgerton is cheesy so like you know i guess at this point we just kind of accept the the bold colors and the crazy dialogue and the twisted drama but i get you i i do think that kind of rain is is overused uh i saw this tiktok and if i can remember it i'll share it in the group of this guy who reenacts uh, scenes of, of men who are in period dramas and one of the other things that is kind of common that they do is like the men is the men are stern and collected and they never show any emotions until they get to the sea and then they get to the sea and they're like I'm going off to war I'll never see you again or they're like I loved her once but she is lost to me and it's just really funny because it's like Poldark is all about that. They have all these arguments by the sea. And I think possibly Sanditon too. And there's a couple others where it's like... I mean, you've picked on two stories that are set at the at seaside. The sea. No, but it's just, it is funny that it's like, you know, unless we're at this like element where the, the waves are crashing or, you know, the rain is pouring down. It's like if there's not some sort of like weather or environmental element, then a man can be very controlled. You know, it's it's like well, I mean, <laughs> I mean, it's, dramas. it's pathetic fallacy, isn't it? Is what they call it yeah. when the weather corresponds to the emotions of the scene, which it's more of a literary thing. But yeah, um, what one of the 
one of the films that we've seen as well, they spent a lot of time on the harbour, but it was that very long like piece of concrete that that went out into the sea. They're all wearing black a lot. What are you talking about? It's one it's of the harbour. What? There's a harbour. Uh yeah, but it basically it's just like a seawall. Persuasion. Oh, was that persuasion? Oh, bless your heart. Yes, that's. Well, they spent a lot of time they do- in well, the because- waves with with the rain and everything. Yes, yes, persuasion. Well, it's. I think that that's because it has to correspond with uh, Captain Wentworth being in the Navy and it and it being around people in the Navy, and I think there's some sort of a, a bit of a connection to that, or at least I think that. Um, but yeah, there is a there is a scene where. They kind of go out into a seawall and then... No, no, no. Multiple scenes. That particular persuasion, <laughs> yes. Um, and, and it's always grey because they were filming it. And it was it's one of the older versions. So they didn't have all the fancy graphics editing that you've got now. So they were always filming it like live. And so it's always overcast because that's what it's like. Yeah. And so then it's just all dreary and grey all the time. And then, you know, they're all like, oh, we're having so much fun. And it's like... The wind is dashing the the waves across the the rocks, and they're all getting soaked and stuff. And they're like, yay! Look at us! And then that one girl <laughs> that did not happen, but okay. That one girl falls and like breaks her head or something, doesn't she? She, I think she breaks her leg. <laughs> what? Whatever. So, <laughs> no, all, all I'm saying is that yeah, you're right. Like it's the whole water thing. I don't you're, know why. You're gonna have to accept this one because there's a new version of persuasion coming out later this year and we're 100 percent gonna recap it because persuasion is my favorite of jane austen's novels and so i'm excited for a new version i think it's been like over 10 years at this point that we've had persuasion and i don't think it's ever had a big budget production and it's gonna have one now so you're just gonna have to relive this story again Uh, it's all right i forget that the different versions of the same story are actually the same story and so like i'll be looking at it and i'll be like this seems familiar. Um, why, why, why does this seem familiar? And you turn and look at me like I'm an idiot, and you say because it's Pride and Prejudice, and we've seen like five different versions of it. I'm like, oh yeah. I'm just thankful that you watch all of them with me. Thank you very much. I mean, it's interesting seeing the different interpretations and things, um, but I honestly do get confused, and I can like, I can look at it and go, hmm, this is really familiar, <laughs> but, but I can't, I can't. Any other story. Like any other story, I can kind of watch it and go, I've seen this before. Or I can go, I haven't seen this before, but it's similar to this, this, this. But for whatever reason, these different adaptations, I just cannot place them. And I I cannot for the life of me remember the names of the characters from the different ones. And other than the obvious, I guess. Yeah. Um, And so it's like, it's just, it all mushes together in my brain. And so every time we watch particularly those older like early 2000s late 90s ones they just because they're all filmed in a very similar way yeah yeah but then like something like emma comes along and it's so bright and different yeah that it's memorable that it's memorable yeah i get what you mean and that's okay um i don't really know what happens in star wars other than people lightsaber each other so that's okay and I love you. Mm. Are you going to say it back? I mean, you've just insulted Star Wars. So. <laughs> and every time I put Star Trek on, you kind of come in and you'll say, 
like you know you'll just you'll just happen to walk in on a scene when like the aliens step in and you're like oh what is that on their face well what is it it's called makeup (laughs) (laughs) or prosthetics i don't even want to say what it looks like on their heads so i mean that's just rude i mean (laughs) like a klingon comes on and uh, listeners i'm not sure if any of you are star trek fans um but you know google klingon and you'll probably see what i mean and yeah you'll see what what i mean what's on top of their heads it's all wrinkly and everything yeah well that's the whole point and kayla comes and comes in and she looks at it and she's like what is that and i'm like it's an alien and she's like but why does it look like that because it's an alien (laughs) and i mean like you know it's it seems obvious to me but she every single time she's confused um (laughs) but i mean i i get confused at the the characters in these shows but so. we still watch this stuff together and we learn and it's fun so it is it is so over at the hastings it seems as if our favorite couple are about to make amends daphne tells simon that he needs to stay and make this work between them and he looks as if he's willing to try this time around one last rumpy pumpy for the road <laughs> <laughs> did you write that i did uh, and with that um we bring the london season to a close at the Featheringtons, Marina asked Portia how she went 20 years without love in a marriage. And she said, you find things to love like your children. And we see that Marina has decided to marry her lover's brother. And off she goes. Portia finds out that someone is to inherit the estate, uh, though we don't find out who yet. And as Colin he- heads off for his travels, Anthony declares that he's ready to find a wife, though very begrudgingly. Huzzah, and on to season two. Eloise finds out from Benedict that Madame de la Croix was with Benedict at another party that night, so she couldn't be Lady Whistledown. Her face when she finds out was, like, really funny. It's like, uh-oh. <laughs> um, and then we, as the audience, finally discover the identity of Lady Whistledown. And it turns out to be Penelope. Huzzah! Kayla said that she kind of had a hunch, um, but she didn't want to kind of spoil it for those who were listening to the podcasters. Um they watched along with the show and so obviously we haven't mentioned it this entire time um and at the end we find out that daphne and simon um do decide to have a baby a boy and all seems to be happy and light again in the fantastical beautiful bridgerton yay so in terms of finding out penelope was whistledown i was so excited for this i was down for this a hundred percent Penelope is easily my favorite character, so the fact that behind the scenes she's Lady Whistledown, spreading all the gossip, being a secret celebrity while everyone else around her treats her like a child and underestimates her, it's so satisfying. You go, Penelope, go. She may be the quiet, timid character, but I think we're going to slowly see her blossom into a confident young lady, and I am ready, and I'm down for it. Yes, Penelope's number one fan. I think because of who Penelope is, Eloise is not suspecting her because she's assuming that Whistledown is this firecracker, independent woman, like we were saying before, who doesn't need a man, who isn't being controlled by her mother. But we see that Penelope is both of those things. She doesn't have the freedoms that Eloise believes she would have, and her life isn't perfect, and she does want to get married, and she does want to have a relationship with someone. So I am going to be curious how Eloise takes it when she finds out. I think that's going to be like the biggest person we're going to like watch out for of when they find out. Is she going to be mad? Is she going to be impressed? Is she going to feel duped? 
Um, it's going to be interesting to see when they decide to have Eloise find out. Who knows? Mm. From what you've told me of the books, it's probably going to be very, very different. Yeah, uh, the books, um, Eloise in the books is not very much like well, Eloise in the not show. Not just that, but the the time involved in, in revealing who Whistledown is. Yes, yeah, it's not an immediate thing in the, in the books, so mm. um, like it wasn't here. So I am interested to see how the writers are are doing this are, are going to take this forward the book was really satisfying to read about penelope's story though and i loved how it panned out i am hoping that they'll stick to the general storyline with penelope when it comes to the book but again we don't know what's going to happen right now penelope is a side character on our screens and honestly in her own mind as well but she is a hundred percent a leading lady and i can't wait till we see that I do wonder if it will eventually turn Colin's head or if it would be a turnoff for him to find that she's Lady Whistledown. Like, would he be annoyed at that? Would he be fine with that? Who knows? As a guy, if there was a girl that was somewhat interested in you, but you weren't really quite there, how would you feel about her if she was someone like Lady Whistledown? Like, how would you find her? Would it change your mind about her? Mm, So, I mean... um... Obviously, when I when I first read your notes on this and and I was thinking of an answer, I was I was in two minds because I think in reality I would be worried about how people would want revenge on Whistledown on yeah. someone spilling secrets into the public domain like that, and so I'd always be worried. You'd always be worried that you'd be found out as the husband of Lady Whistledown, or that Lady Whistledown would be found out and you know arrested, sent to the Tower of London, or whatever, you know. Um, so, I mean, I don't know, but, I, but then I thought maybe I'd be like interested in also doing it for the men of society as well, because like, she's mostly doing it about the women. Well, I think not necessarily, but I think it's the women who are most interested. Let's be honest. Like from what we've seen of the show, it's the women that are like that, that are mostly kind of gossiping and also like getting the paper and reading it and then it's the men who walk in the room and are like what kind of like when colin walked down the stairs when violet was like holding the paper and he's like what you know? yeah yeah true however there was definitely a, a scene or two in the men's club because remember um oh i don't remember his name all, all the way back in like episode two and three yeah w- with that guy that we hated oh yes um, oh, like Bur- burbrook burbrook but yeah yeah, sure. We'll go with that. Burbrook. Lord Burbrook. Yeah. So remember, he was in the, the gentleman's club and everybody's like looking at him and like. Rrr, 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 rrr. Oh, yeah. Because they'd all been reading the paper. There you go. You're right. So it's it's only because with this type of show, the um, the audience is going to be predominantly female. And so the main characters are predominantly female. Like, you know, we don't we don't really follow the lives of the men so much as how they pertain to the lives of the women does that make sense so like it does so so if if we were just following the men's stories we would be seeing um the impact of the the paper in the men's circles but we don't because we're focusing on the women which is fine obviously i'm not complaining or anything i I just saying it's like it's we've seen a little hint that the men are just as interested in the gossip um it's just that the main characters all happen to be women, so you're right. Yeah, I think if it were me and if I were Colin, there would be a part of me that would think like, "Yes, this is petty. 
um, and this is problematic and, you know, I can see how this would affect a lot of people's lives. But I think on the other hand, I would be really impressed. I would be like, oh, okay, you've got this big gossip paper that everyone's reading. This, that is quite a feat. That is quite a feat in my eyes. So I feel like I would have a hard time trusting her, but I feel like I wouldn't ask her to stop what she's doing. Lady Whistledown is is too entertaining to me. So, and it it's a huge part of the show. So, you know, I yeah, would... but but would an entertaining be enough to make you go like, ooh, this person's entertaining. Therefore, I'm going to now entertain um, romantic thoughts. <laughs> well, I think there is a difference between you kind of can relate to this with us being writers. There's a difference between who you are as a writer, I think, and who you are in front of people and in a relationship. And I think that that Penelope's writing self, her, you know, this this pen name, this kind of alter ego, Lady Whistledown, it's not like who she is really in society. And so I think if her and Colin were to, to get together, that he would recognize she's not this person that is writing or that is Lady Whistledown. It's this is a persona that she uses to write this paper. And maybe we would need to sit down and talk through it and go, you know, is this the wisest thing to do? Or how could you make this paper better? Or yada, yada. Like, I wouldn't just accept it and go, like, you just do whatever you want to do. But I think I... So as as a man in this situation, you would want to control the woman and tell oh, her here we go. how to do no, it. No, but... I... That's a very interesting take. Um... No, but I would... No, <laughs> no, but I would want to sit down and go, look, I really have feelings for you, but this Lady Whistledown thing that you're doing, it's very different from the person that I thought you were. So I just need to like be able to merge the two and you've said some very upsetting things as Lady Whistledown about my family that's affected my life. It it kept me from marrying the woman that I loved ultimately. So like, we need to kind of talk about this and if you're going to do it in the future and how does that look so for us? So and... you know what? That conversation is more fantasy than this show <laughs> because that would never happen in Bridgerton. I know. <laughs> <laughs> so I think like, in a way, it's been really hard not saying anything about Penelope throughout our podcast. Yes. Right? Because as um as like knowing that she's Lady Whistledown now, once you kind of discover that and you go back and, and watch the season and you think about how everything worked out and, and the impact of everything and because obviously, you know, we're talking here about maybe Colin finding out and then talking to her about like, hey, you said this thing about my family. I mean, because like obviously the the repercussions are going to be pretty strong because like obviously he sees Penelope um as we, as Marina said like kind of like a sister type thing or whatever and then your perception is going to change massively when you find out that Penelope this you know sweet girl that you thought that you knew is capable of saying that right so yeah. um not not only from a character's point of view from an audience's point of view when you go back and you watch the the episodes and you kind of go um ah okay so like you know um i caught this line that's a bit more important for example um i think it's to marina penelope says i would never say or do anything that would um jeopardize the reputation of this family 
Yeah. And then the next episode or later in that episode, she goes back on that word and she prints it about Marina because Marina won't listen to reason from Penelope's point of view. Yeah. And so I think it's interesting because Penelope is clearly a very, very intelligent woman and she's doing this, um, this double act so successfully because of that intelligence. And so she knows, well, if I say this, it, nobody will ever think of it. That, that You're right. Me. And and the fact that she's willing to also throw herself under the bus. Like exactly. she continually talks about the way she dresses and how she's always in yellow and how, you know, it doesn't make her look good. And I do think in some ways it's her hope that her mom will read that and go, oh, well, this actually isn't a good yeah. color for her. Oh, it's, it's, she's yeah. getting back to her mum. Like she's like, mum, you've chosen a horrible dress for me yet again. Um, because, you know, I've got red hair and you're putting me in yellow or whatever. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, and so, yeah, I think it's 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 her way of, like, striking back, really, because she can't or she doesn't feel like she can do that in real life. And then counting herself out um, yeah. as not being Lady Whistledown. Yeah, I think it's I think it's smart. I think it's smart. And I think as long as she isn't caught again, you know, almost caught again that she could pull this off for obviously several several more seasons. Yeah, I mean, because so you mentioned that um, you you would think that maybe it was a bit petty and that you wouldn't quite kind of yeah. like it. And I think in retrospect, the whole Marina being in the paper thing only happened once Penelope had tried to get her not to dupe Colin, and and when she refused. To, to kind yeah. of go back on a word, that's when she resorted to something that she thought was her final chance to to yeah. save Colin from this this horrible fate. Um and so like once she did, she she even found that her chance to find out interesting gossip uh, dried up a little bit, right? Because um that's maybe the first hint that it could be her, um, as Eloise is finding all these clues and things. Because if you remember there's a there's a portion where everybody's like, oh, there's, there hasn't been a new Whistledown paper in in a week or yeah. something or in days, and that's because the Featheringtons are basically um, banned. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I didn't, yeah, I didn't think about that, but yeah, you're right. Um, I also want to say that I don't think I ever suspected Penelope. Really? I don't think so. I don't remember that I did. Who did you suspect? Um, did you think it could be Eloise that thou doth protest too much? Yeah, early on, early on in the season, I thought. <clears throat> excuse me. Um, early on in the season, I thought it could be Eloise. Um, however, one of the strongest suspicions that I had, I didn't know who, um, but I did think that the writers were going to try and pull a fast one and make it turn out to be a man. Oh yeah, you mentioned that when we first started. Recapping. Yeah, yeah, I was going to be annoyed if that was the case, so I'm glad it was Penelope because it it makes sense to me. It's the right it's the right fit, I think. So. Hmm. I mean, I think it's definitely a, a more interesting choice having yeah. the, the most kind of vulnerable youngish type um be the be the mature acerbic like witty Lady Whistledown. Yeah. I think I think it was a good choice. I mean, because again, like you would if if you don't suspect it, it just makes it more interesting. 100%. So predictions for next season. I predict. So I predict Anthony is obviously going to get a new love interest. We already know that. She'll be sassy, independent, 
and won't need him, and that will make her even more tantalizing to him. Okay. Colin will be off abroad, so I don't even know if he'll show up this season, but Penelope will be pining after him. But because this is not really Penelope's time, I think that it's either going to be that like Colin's on a boat and we'll see him like riding on a boat or something, but I don't think Colin's going to be huge. You said riding on a boat. No, I said, did I say riding on a boat? You did. (laughs) Sailing on a boat? Yes. Yes. You you sail on a boat. Well done. (laughs) Penelope will somehow have to use her money off of Lady Whistledown to help her family. I think that's going to be a thing that happens because they're poor again, but we are going to kind of need to see them in high society still for Penelope to go to these events. So she's going to have to, I, I think they're, you know, we've not really seen any money exchanged about Lady Whistledown, but I think there's money involved, obviously. And so well, she's going to have to use that money. The The paper boys all pick, take a penny off people. Yeah. When they, um, but then again, so many people have it that you think maybe it's given away for free. So that's interesting. That's interesting. Do you, do you have anything else to add to that one? Or? Um, oh, yeah. I was just going to say that I don't know if this will blow her cover to someone in the family um, because, like, where where's this money coming from type thing. She might have to make up a story or rope someone else in to make the money come around in a different way. Um, and so someone in her inner circle or whatever might end up having to know. Um, but, yeah, I, I predict that she'll have to use the money to help her family because she's got to be at those events. Um, I It could be Eloise that she confides in. I don't think so, though. But I think there could be a danger that she could be found found out. What are some of your predictions? Um, so I'm going to go slightly out of order. I want to talk about that last one first. Um, yeah, I think that Eloise and Penelope are going to work together on the paper interesting i don't think that but okay no i think i think that they will because because eloise i think they're setting eloise up to find out that it's penelope i think she's got very very strong suspicions on on who it can be the the pool of suspects is quite small from her point of view and i think it's it's going to get to the point where eloise is going to be so obsessed that she's going to find out and then i don't think she's going to she's going to turn her in i think she's going to help her and like you've just said um, Penelope and the Featheringtons still need access to high society so either Penelope's going to go to Eloise and say hey I need to come with you and your family to the balls and things because now Eloise is out in society she's going to go to the balls interesting or um, she'll recruit Eloise as an informant either by telling her hey I'm whistle down or through an anonymous like letters which is going to be interesting or um, it'll be like Eloise finds out and then insists on... So I, I, there's going to be some kind of interplay there um, with Penelope, Eloise, and Whistledown. I think it's going to be interesting. Um, I do think that Sienna's going to make an appearance. Um, interesting. Mostly to tempt Anthony and to ratchet up tension. Uh, I don't I don't think that it's going to be very long. It's probably just going to be, uh, I'd say, like an episode uh, or part of an episode um, maybe midway through. I mean... I think she's done with him, but she might like. No, have... no, I, I, sorry, I don't mean that she'll come back and want him. Oh, okay. The writers will use her to show us that Anthony is still pining over her, pining and rocky, and things aren't going well. And so, structurally, I think it's going to come somewhere in the middle. 
Um, and then obviously we kind of know this already, but uh, Daphne will pop in and out to fix fix things um, with Anthony slash his new lover, um, whilst the Duke is off doing something important and um, like possibly being the next James Bond. Yeah, I don't think the Duke is going to be James Bond. Um, the Secret Service didn't exist at this point in time. Um, <laughs> You're the worst. Yeah, well, you know. I do think we should, what we should do is next season, we need to revisit this at the end of the season and we should have an episode about like, talk about like what we had predicted here and then yeah. um, what we found out and how different they are between what our predictions were. Have you been saving our notes? I've just been like burning them after every episode. I'm done with you tonight. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we will have to see how that all pans out. It's going to be, I, you know, some people are thinking it'll be Christmas this year, but the obviously the filming has been delayed. So I think yeah, it's going to be the spring of next year. So we're definitely going to be re- uh, recapping some other things because it's, seems like it's going to be a bit of a wait for uh for bridgerton here covid just makes everything unpredictable unfortunately so we've got to be patient while we turn our attention elsewhere for a while which is exactly why we are recapping sanditon next and it'll be really exciting jordan has never seen sanditon so obviously um although at the time of recording um i've seen one episode of sanditon we just right before recording, we just watched the first episode. Yep. Which Without is, spoiling, what do you feel? Um. Uh, I mean, this isn't a spoiler, but I was just going to say, which is why earlier I knew that when you were talking about the whole uh, seaside thing, that Sanderton is set at the seaside. Otherwise, I would literally have not known. <laughs> um, feeling so far, it's um. It's got a quite a light-hearted setup, um, yeah. Other than the uh, the one character who wears all black, as if she's a widow. Um, but as we all know, that you only wear all black if you're evil. So you know she's <laughs> she's she's evil. Um, she certainly sounds it from what she said to the main character, whose name I've already forgotten. But never mind, Charlotte. Sure, Charlotte. Um, that'll that'll yeah, sounds about right. Um, <laughs> no, I think it's. It sounds like it's got a a fairly kind of light-hearted feel to it overall, but it's a bit more realistically portrayed. Yeah, I I think so. I think you're also going to see there's a you know, no shade to Bridgerton, but I think there's far more kind of character development in Sanditon. Um Okay, sure. What well, who is it written by again? So it was written by Andrew Davies, and he uh, wrote the 1995 uh, Pride and Prejudice, uh, as, as well as several other period dramas. So he's kind of he's kind of a period drama king in a way. I thought it was Julian Fellows. No, that Julian Fellows wrote uh, Downton Abbey and Doctor Thorne um, and The English Game. The game, the show oh, about that, football. Okay, that's probably the one. Yeah, yeah. 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 Sorry, just soccer. Getting... Soccer. Excuse me. Don't Britishize me. <laughs> You've done it to yourself. <laughs> oh. 
but I am I am excited to recap this um the show with you. And there's such a big like Sanditon sisterhood out there. Shout out to the Sanditon sisterhood. So I'm I'm excited about possibly bringing you into the fold. Um, so for those who haven't heard of Sanditon, it was the last novel of Jane Austen, written in 1817, but sadly unfinished because Austen died. So we only have a few chapters, and this show is kind of a reimagining of what the end of Sanditon could be. I think other people have attempted to write Sanditon before, but this is just one version. It could have gone a number of ways, and we'll never know, sadly. If you guys are wanting to recap with us, the U.S. Sanditon is available through Masterpiece Theater, I believe, so on pbs.org, and then I think Amazon as well. In the U.K., it is on BritBox or Amazon. If you are anywhere else, I'm sorry, I ain't got a clue. But we are hoping, upon all hope, that Sanditon is getting renewed. Um, Well, I don't know if Jordan is. He hasn't seen it, but here's hoping he'll want a season two as well. So check that out on Mondays. Thank you guys for journeying through Bridgerton with us. We really appreciate it. While we say goodbye to the London season and the Bridgerton family, we're going to journey to the beachside resort of Sanditon up next because it is heading towards summer and it's heading towards the beachside and, and for us all to be able to hopefully get out to the beach and and be able to be more social now that the world is hopefully opening up more. So I think Sanditon is the perfect next show for us to recap for something like that you say that but we do have some more bridgerton episodes to to come out no but i mean recaps oh okay yeah sure yeah we've we've got a few bridgerton shows coming up we haven't solidified the dates on those so that's why i'm just not speaking on it yet but yeah we've we've got some more bridgerton to talk about but i mean because we've got we've got more things to talk about with penelope and, and stuff too right like yeah there's i mean there the possibilities are endless with Bridgerton and we're still going to always keep having those conversations. But in terms of recapping, we're, we're going to step back a bit and, and recap Sanditon. And Hey, listen, now that I've got one show that I actually know in this genre, (laughs) I can reference it all the time because I've got nothing else to reference. (laughs) So there we go. Well, we keep doing this podcast. You're going to have so much to reference. I'm going to be an expert. Um, yeah wow so i think somebody in the facebook group mentioned that they would be looking forward to some more um book recommendations book recommendations thank you um and yeah working on that we are well kayla's reading one of the ones that i mentioned last episode um or will be soon spellbreaker um which is a kind of victorian fantasy um but we do have some others that i haven't read yet so i'm not going to tell you what they are just in case they're awful (laughs) i don't want to recommend bad books for you um but yes that is something that um, i'm doing and uh you will as well i guess yeah yeah i'm always reading regency books i'm reading two at the minute so yeah that's that's the plan is to be able to share more of these book recommendations and we're kind of now shaping up like what our patreon's gonna look like for you guys and what's what all is gonna be on there and then the possible book club but for now definitely join our facebook group also if you didn't if you've enjoyed this first season of regency rumors we'd really appreciate it if uh, you're listening on apple podcasts if you could go and give us a review a comment anything on apple podcasts it it really helps uh, other people to be able to see the show it helps us to have a future with this show 
and it really means a lot to us. So if you've enjoyed listening to all eight episodes, um, please, it's been more than eight episodes. This will be the tenth. Wow. If you've enjoyed uh, listening to us for the last ten episodes, then we'd really appreciate it if you'd go and leave us a review or a comment. Join the Facebook group. Get involved. Um, Follow us on Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. We just want to thank you for listening, and please keep listening with us, and we're excited for the future. So uh, we will see you next time on the sunny beaches of Sanditon. Until next time, dear listeners, goodbye. Goodbye. What? I, I want to try a different goodbye. Goodbye. Do you want me to do it sultry again? Goodbye. That's not sultry. That's, what was that? That's, that's my Paris Hilton. Goodbye. That sounds like... I can't Goodbye. say that. Goodbye. Goodbye. Do you like that one? I could do very formal. Goodbye, dear.